Amen. Good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors. Glad you're with us here today. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. So, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, please turn or tap your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If not, we're going to have those words on the screen for you. We'd love to give you a copy of the Scriptures on your way out in a modern English translation. We want you to follow this carefully because... uh, the Scripture is our only authority, so, so if what we're saying follows what Scripture says, well, now you've got something to think about. If not, you know, let it go. But I do think it does. That's kind of my job is to make sure that it does. And, and what we're talking about today is what the Bible has to say about a pretty crucial question for a lot of us. It's a crucial question because we feel it, and we feel very deeply the question. It's also a crucial question because in this subject in particular, we find ourselves way different from the culture. God has given something that the culture has not continued to hold on to and adopt. So if we will do it His way rather than kind of the way that we've been sort of modeled, seen it, the example that we've got from sort of our culture around us, then we can be a light. We can be distinct. So for a thousand reasons, for your joy, for God's glory, for the good of our community, we need to understand what we need to do better with work. Career. Well, what do we need to do when it comes to the way that we engage the world with our lives? It's so much more than just your job. It's big. It's a big question. And again, I think it's one where the Scripture gives us a lot of money that we're just leaving on the table, we're walking away from. And I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to think very carefully about that question. What should I do with my life? It's a big college ministry question, and you come up to it a couple of times in your career, probably. It's asked a different way in sort of like a midlife crisis moment. At that moment, you say something similar, but you say like, what have I done with my life? And it's got a little more of a panicky note to it. I get it. Okay. I hear both of those questions, but I want to address them biblically. I want to understand what are we doing? What is your career? What career does God want you to have? Do we need to make some changes? Do we not need to make some changes? in your actual job, but we do need to make some changes in the way that you go about your job, the way that you view your job. How are you supposed to be using it? How does God want you to use it? We often think that God has this sort of perfect job out there for us, and I think in a lot of ways that's the culture sort of getting baptized a little bit. It's a cultural value that we put a sort of Christian sprinkly top on where we say, God, he he loves me. By that I mean, he doesn't care too much about who I am or what I want to do. He just is going to try and help out. It's not holy in a sense of has his own set of values. He's more like he's going to adopt my values and just sort of give me what I want. And what I want is a job, but not a job. What I want is something that allows a stage. It's something that allows me to display to the world that I am spectacular. Culturally, I think this is a value. It's the concept that there's a thing, there's a specific thing that's in me that I've been made to do, that I've been built to do. And if I can just find the right industry and the right sort of lane in that industry, then I will be allowed to finally release this beauty, this goodness, this incredible capacity. And the whole world will see. Not only will I be financially successful, because that's a must, but I will also be impressive. 
My wife and I used to watch this series on Netflix called Chef's Table. And it was a documentary. And each documentary, each episode documented, documented a different chef's sort of career and life in their career. And so it was more of a human story than a food story, even though, of course, it's a lot of food. But in this documentary series, they would tell the story of a person. And the, every episode starts the same way. They show you some of their success. And then they take you back to the beginning. And they show you where this person started with all of the kind of angst and difficulty and their outsiderness. And you can talk to people in the food industry, but there's a lot of misfits in that world, you know, and these people kind of start that way. They're not like blue collar people. They're more like artists or something. And they, they see themselves and they see the world in this unique way and they're kind of battered by the world. And then they start to succeed. They find their thing. They find their industry. They find their technique. And all of a sudden, as they apply it, they get success and success and success. And then all of a sudden, you know, the time shows up at the restaurant, and then there's the review, and then it's on USA Today or whatever. Boom! And that's our success story. The idea that we would finally be recognized. We'd finally have what we needed, this perfect job. And yet, we're Christians. We don't value that same set of values. We see God, not as somebody who's just going to come and kind of make our life great in the sense of not really needing Him. Make our life great in the sense of giving us financial security and importance in the community so that we don't, we don't, really, hmm, we don't really need Him. We believe that God keeps the world moving, that God is God over all things, that he has a plan, and that plan is connected intimately to our lives. So here's where I want us to see God saying to us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which... God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He says, let people lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them and to which God has called him. It's using the word calling, and that calling word is this idea of a vocation. It's this idea that you're, you're called by someone and within the context of Scripture, that someone is a capital S. It's, it's God, that God is calling you to something that benefits all people. It works with His plan, not against it. Okay, we get that. I want to dive in for a minute. I think we do understand what it's saying. We understand the, the desire for your, your work to have meaning. It's all over the place. Now, if you ever go to like a hipster restaurant style place, they'll put their mission and paint it up on the wall. And it's always not just about feeding people food. It's about something grander, something more. You watch ads now and ads are making the point repeatedly that they're not just a company that makes X. They're a company that provides the world with Y and just fill in the blank. I mean, that's every ad that's out there now. It's because they want people to come work there, but they also want people to buy there because you're not just buying a product, you're engaging with a movement. We're changing the world in the way that we sell hamburgers or Buicks or bundle your home and life auto insurance, you know, oh, wow, they're changing the world, this idea of meaning. Yeah, we get that. We're called to a meaning with what we're 
doing. I think the disconnect within the church is that our concept of calling gets put into a very specific set of biblical categories, and those categories don't include your job. Here's what I mean. When I say that you're called in Christianity, you immediately agree that you're called to salvation. It says in Romans chapter 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's this beautiful golden chain of salvation where he is calling you to himself. Amen. Wow. Absolutely. We believe that. You're called to be his. Oh, wow. That's the gospel. Praise God. You know, we're not less than that. We're absolutely in on that. We know that we're called to bring other people to that salvation. You're not just called to be his. You're called to take now his message to others. We know that the, the Christian message, Jesus ends with his final sort of words, whether it's Acts 1-8 or um, Matthew 28, where he's given the Great Commission. He's telling them to go and make disciples. But it's not just Jesus. It's all over the New Testament. Peter says it this way. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're called to it. Okay. We get those callings. We even understand, and you might fight me on this one a little bit, we even understand that being called, you're called into his community, his church community. That's what ecclesia is. That Greek word for the word church, it doesn't just mean gathering. It's, it's, it's a word that means called out ones, ones whom, who have been called out together. When you're called to be his, you're immediately called to be among his. And I say we can fight about that because most of us see Christianity in this very individualistic way. Well, that's something we've inherited from the culture. That's not something you can defend biblically. No, you're called into his church. Okay, we get those callings. But am I called to my job? Am I really called into a job that God has given me? Yeah, I understand that we're called to, to be his and to speak his name and to be among his people and serve within the church. I get that. But am I, am I called when it comes to the endless spreadsheets? Am I called in the endless job of changing out bedsheets? Now, that was a rhetorical flourish. I want you to notice it. It doesn't happen often. But I'm trying to make a point. Called within the church, or are you called outside of it? Outside of it, are you called within the full range of possible jobs, or is it only a couple? Is God so poor a manager that he hasn't thought about what you do with 50 or 60 hours of your week? Of course not. Look at our verse again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now, if you read that verse in context through the whole of chapter 7 and the argument that Paul's making to this church in Corinth, he includes a lot of different stuff. He brings in a lot of the categories that I don't know that we understand why he's bringing them out. He talks about how it's, it's okay that God has different categories. He's, he's calling people, and, and Paul starts to discuss your love life. He talks about these categories of married or divorced or celibate. 
That's a conversation. We understand those categories. I don't necessarily know how they fit with, he also brings up circumcision and uncircumcision. The Bible talks about that a lot. If you ever read the Bible and you're as uncomfortable as most of us are with the concept of talking about circumcision and uncircumcision, you notice it comes up regularly. Well, Paul brings it up here. Huh. We can talk about it. I don't know why we're going to talk about it. We can talk about it. And then it connects to marriage somehow. I don't know. And then he also brings up the concept of slave or being free from slavery. Okay, again, we can talk about that. But how does it connect? The connecting point, the linchpin of his argument is this verse 17 where he is saying, God may have called you in a lot of different places. When he calls you to himself, you might be married, divorced, or celibate. When he calls you to himself, you might be circumcised or uncircumcised. When he calls you to himself, you might be a slave or free. The inherent point in all of that is that God has a divine principle. He is able to use where you are specifically for his glory. One commentator says the divine principle is that no earthly status is incompatible with the Christian's calling by God. He really is a good manager. He knows what he's doing. Historically, the church has broken jobs into two sort of main categories. We've, we've done this, and hopefully the Reformation back in the 1600s helped to kind of correct it, but we've done this where we say the people who do the, the calling stuff that we're aware of, like calling people to know the Lord and salvation stuff and monitoring salvation stuff and church stuff, they're part of the sacred calling of God. And then there's just everybody else, and we're the secular people. We're the butchers, we're the governors, we're the accountants, we're the candle makers. And there is a sacred set of jobs and a secular set of jobs. You and I have inherited some of those same ideas as we read through Scripture. We see that people like Paul were called out to be apostles, and they're traveling around and getting beaten up every day, but they're, they're preaching the gospel. And that's, those are like the A-team. And there's just the rest of us, you know, who watch our kids and raise our crops. And, you know, maybe we give a little bit to help out. But we're really not involved in the kingdom work with a capital K. Is that what Scripture says? Was that God's big plan? Did he say he's going to call all these people to himself and build this giant church and use about 8% of them? The rest of them just try to stay out of the way. Really, these sacred people are the ones I need. Is he so bad a manager that really all he has for you is one day a week? And maybe every now and again when you kind of gin up some confidence and you invite a lost person over and you feed them dinner and now you're going to speak to them about what you believe. Is that really that two-hour period a week? Is that really all he has for you? He had no kingdom-oriented plan for the 50 or 60 hours a week you give to what you do? No. No. No, of course not. That's a lie, and we're going to get rid of it. It's the point of this series, but it's the point, too, of, 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 I think, so much of what Scripture has for the individual believer. A lot of this is captured really well in a book by a guy named Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. Those of you that are readers, highly recommend it to you, Every Good Endeavor. But he says the implication is clear. 
Just as God equips Christians for building up the body of Christ, so he also equips all people with talents and gifts for various kinds of work for the purpose of building up the human community. Whoa. Big statement. Inclusive statement. He doesn't just say sacred and secular. (laughs) Sacred and secular? Sacred and secular within the church. He's saying all of humanity. Why? God did make the world good. It fell, but he made it good. It says that in Genesis. Each time he finishes that day's worth of work, he looks out and he goes, good. He puts Adam and Eve in the middle of it and he goes, very good. And that good creation had work. You know, we can talk theologically about whether or not God actually like expended energy in the creation moment. I mean, he's God. I don't know. But he modeled himself as one who works on six days and then rests on a seventh. Himself. Then, making Adam and Eve before the fall, when everything's still good, he puts them in a garden and tells them to keep it and expand the borders. He and the people that he made to represent him, made in his image, were gardeners. Dirty-handed gardeners. And it was good. You go to Jesus, who never sinned a day in his life, and he lived the whole of his life working. Three of the years, right there at the end, look a little bit more like we, we kind of paint as sacred work, where it's a little bit more evangelistic, gospel-oriented. He's, he's doing public ministry of the Word. But what did he do for the first 30 years? He was a builder. He was a blue-collar bricklayer. Was that sin? Was he on the sidelines? Would you say that of Christ? Can you say that of yourself? Doesn't God have a plan for your work? Yes, we're supposed to be making disciples of all nations. Yes, we're supposed to understand the gospel. But we are also supposed to use what he gives us on a daily basis to express his goodness and his grace, to tell the world about who he is. He made it good, and work was part of that good creation. Work is a good thing, and I don't want you to keep hating it so much. (laughs) It it is a good thing that's fallen, right? We'll talk more about this. Thorns and thistles. God did give us this, and we did break it. So now we're playing with a broken thing. It's a system that doesn't have everything in order anymore. You and I, as we look at our work can feel that brokenness. You don't just feel it as things crash. You feel it in yourself as you don't enjoy it like you should. Many of us go to work with a constant pining after something more important and impressive. You know, you're doing your job and it pays the bills, but it's not what you wish you had when you go back for that 10-year reunion, 20-year reunion, 50-year reunion. 50 years, I don't know what you talk about. Maybe at that point you're just comparing like hobbies or something. 30-year reunion. When you go back to those reunions, in your head you have this moment where you, you imagine yourself very casually dropping in some massive accomplishment that you did. Oh, yeah, no, we love to golf. I think I took up golfing right after I finished. 
That was right before I started law school, after I finished medical school. I think that's, you want to just drop it in like that. And you have in your head this sort of imagined conversation where you just very blasely throw out these massive accomplishments you have. And right now, you live in this sort of twilight pining for something that was way more impressive than whatever you're doing right now. Many of us live with a constant boredom or even despair when Monday hits because it's another five, six days of just, what's the point of it? What's the purpose of it? What's behind it? Is this good? Should I be doing this? I definitely don't want to be doing it. Is there some reason that even though I clearly don't want to be doing it, I should be doing it? The Christian should have excellent answers for that. Do you? Man, many of us are working in order to stop working. We're not just working for the weekend. We're working as hard as we can to get into an industry where we can work from home, to get into an industry where we can be digital nomads. How many of those Dodge Sprinter vans have you seen? The big, tall vans that are somebody's personal van. They're not like UPS. We don't even have those. Yeah, I guess we have UPS trucks. But like the Amazon, you know, the Amazon vehicles? They're not delivery trucks. They're just somebody's house. And they write code for 20 minutes, and then they go, you know, skiing or hiking or whatever. And they're, they've done it. They've finally cracked the code. So many people see that. If it's not some impressive job that's going to change the world outside, it's the, some kind of really cool job that minimizes what you actually have to do so that you can go and do what you really want to do. Has the church bought into that? Man, again, it's not that you should or shouldn't have a nine-to-five. It's not that you should or shouldn't work from home. It is, do you have this idea that work is something evil and that the really smart people figure out how to not have to do it anymore? No, God has given us something redemptive when it comes to our work. This guy named Francis Schaeffer is a little hard to read. I, uh, I think he's a really, really brilliant man, and I think that he has understood in a way that's really helpful the sort of broad scope of human history, human intellectual life, the way that culture has moved. But, you know, he's kind of hard to access. He's got a little chin beard. He was a guy that went to go, and he's an American guy, but he went to go and do ministry of some kind in the Swiss, like Alps, and just adopted the dress of like a Swiss Alps farmer. He wears pants that come to like, he's dead now, but he wears pants that come to like right here and high, high socks and like a wool jacket. And he speaks in a way that's not always easy to kind of understand. But he wrote this book called How Should We Then Live? And in it, he makes the point that the world falls apart when we don't have this this gospel understanding, this, this holy, absolute understanding for why we do what we do. And his point was that way back in ancient Rome times, that's why it fell apart. It wasn't stuff that just kind of crushed it from the outside. It was that it was rotted out from the inside. And as I read what he's saying, I want you to think about it for a second. He says, Rome didn't fall because of external forces such as the invasion by the barbarians. Rome had no sufficient inward base. The barbarians only completed the breakdown, and Rome gradually became a ruin. His idea is that Rome didn't have a reason to do what they did. So they just went after anything else. They just went after pleasure. They just went after some sort of importance. And as these people gave up any real reason for doing what they're doing and adopted instead this sort of selfish idolatry of I'm doing this for me, 
everything fell apart because, of course, that can't sustain you. It breaks down, you break down, culture breaks down. Do people want to work in America? I don't know. I'm not some genius or socialist, uh, sociologist. I'm not a socialist either, but I'm not a sociologist. I don't know. I don't know the stats. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. A lot of the people that I talk to, though, are the people that I idolize in some way are the people who are out there and they found a way to take their job and to, like, break it, to take their job and to not have to do it. (laughs) Really? Isn't it possible that we have an access, the gospel content, the way that God has taught us to do our jobs? And if, oh, if we could get back to that point, We could take the absolutes that God's given us, the incredible meaning that he's made for Christians to enjoy. If we could grab those things again and put them into our work life, what would be the difference between you and your neighbor? Wouldn't be talent. Wouldn't be intelligence. Wouldn't be skill set. He may still get way more done. But there's a difference. You've got a reason. You've got meaning. You can abide in the Father as you do it. Connect all this back to the gospel. Jesus, as he talked about himself and his work, said in John 5, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus saw himself... As following in the Father's footsteps, doing what God wanted him to do. That's meaning. That's purpose. Did that happen when he started his public ministry or did it exist in his life before that? Absolutely it did in his life before that. He sees his obedience to God, his following after God and his ways as as what it is to be a God follower. It didn't start when he started his public ministry and began to preach. It didn't start at that wedding in Canaan when he did his miracle before even his time had come. It started when he started. You and I are called to follow. You and I are called to abide. You and I are called to connect to the Lord. And it doesn't stop when you go to work and then somehow start up again when you do your devotions the next morning. He does call you to follow him. David read John 15, 5. It's the first verse that you memorize in that Experiencing God course. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Doesn't that sound like the gospel? Jesus taught that if you go after the world... You'll lose your life and the world. But if you don't care about your life and you go after him, you gain heaven and your life. What he's saying here is that if you abide in him, you'll bear much fruit. If you make your life all about the fruit, all you care about is God as a means to the end of some productivity that you think will give you importance or security or or some kind of social standing then you cut yourself off of the vine, the only place, the only source of fruit. If instead you give up on all this other stuff 
and abide in him, well, then you're going to start to bear some fruit. One of the big problems is that culturally you think that means go be a missionary in the 1040 window. Learn to speak Arabic. Maybe. Great. But probably it means wake up tomorrow and work. God has got for you an incredible, an incredible set of resources. And as we go through this series, you'll see there's not just this one big thing. Of course, work should inhibit or allow you to do evangelism. Work should allow you to provide for your family and, and financially to give to the church. Work should allow you to make a difference in the world that has some sort of a positive net that you can see for other people calling. Work, work should allow you to do something moral. Work should allow you. I mean, there's going to be like eight different things that we say work does. But all of those things are as and when God works through you in your everyday. Luther, one of the guys that was a big deal in the Reformation, who kind of reintegrated sacred and secular and said, no, 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 we're all working for the king. He talked about God wearing many masks. He talked about the sacred calling of the milkmaid. Now, the milkmaid is the little girl or the lady or the whatever who goes and milks cows. I hope you understood that. And he was saying that God wears many masks in that. He provides milk, cheese, dairy for the world through all these little milkmaids. That yes, she is doing God's work when she sings to his glory on Sunday morning or when she speaks about him to other milkmaids. But she is also doing God's work when she milks a cow. So are you. We've got to reclaim this idea that whatever you are, teacher, lawyer, mother, accountant, tech executive, pastor, baker, butcher, nurse, doctor, custodian, CEO, you are doing any or all or none of those things. You can do these things for the glory of God. And when you do, you'll be filled with a, a meaning. You'll be abiding in the vine, producing real fruit. And that's worth another five or six weeks. So keep coming back. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I do pray that through your word and through your Holy Spirit, you would teach us what you want us to do with ourselves. You know, you, you don't just intend for us to have a focus on you on Sunday mornings, Lord. Abiding in you is, is 24-7. When we lay our heads to bed, when we wake up every day, we don't set you down to go do some secular job and then pick, it back, pick you back up again, Lord. You're with us all the time. This is your work. Will you please help us to see that, Father? And as we see that, Lord, please help us to work with that level of passion and ingenuity, Father, so that we're working for your glory and for your good, Lord, or our good. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.